I want to pull up this picture. Usain Bolt. Usain Bolt is the greatest sprinter of all time, all right? He still holds the record in the 100 and the 200. He still, until he retired, trained in his little Kingstown, Jamaica, uh, little track, right? He was the greatest sprinter in the world, and this is how he trained. He did not need fancy equipment. He did not need the best. Matter of fact, he said, these are my people. This is where I'm going to train and I'm going to get enough because what really matters is the work that you put in. Amen. Amen. Where are we going with this? Mark 12, 38 through 40. I'm just blown right through. We're going right into it. All right. Because it's so important that we get this. And I don't know why, but uh, I was really struggling with this sermon to be completely transparent with you. I think it's a good word. I think it's the truth. But I was like, Lord, why do you have this for redeemed today? Because I feel like in some ways I've been beating the same message over your head over and over again. And the truth is, is that the Lord does think that we love deeply and he's calling us to deeper love. All right. All right. Mark 12, 38 through 40. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayer. These men will be punished most severely. All right. He has been running into the religious leaders over and over and over again. He's running into them. And this is the harshest word that he probably has for them, right? And he's going to call it like he is. He's like, watch out for. When you look at watch out for, he literally means be on guard. Be careful for this, all right? You need to be watching out for them, for the teachers of the law. And he's going to call them out for what? Because they are underneath all their religious garb, all their religious activities, all the things that they look like they have it all together. He's like, they are dishonest. They are unethical. They're sinful behavior. And he's going to first go after the long robes. He's like, this is what kings and priests would wear. And it's this floor length garment that they would wear. And it represented that they were the most pious and they were the most scholarly. This was a look at me. Okay. Now, don't worry. I wore a shirt with a collar today just to show my authority. Huh? This is like the first time in four weeks I wore a shirt with a collar just for you. Yeah, this means scholarly. I'm just joking. It was intended to be worn during religious duties. There's nothing wrong with wearing this garment. The religious duties, when they were to put it on, that's when it was supposed to happen. But we see this, that they did it to attract attention to themselves, all right? They walked around in places that were never meant to wear those in the marketplaces because they were like, look at me, look at me. They wanted honor to be shown to them. And it goes on because they want the best seats in the synagogue, probably the seats in the front by the Torah. And he goes on, he says, they want to be at the places of the banquets, the best places at the banquets. In a shame and honor culture, seating made it visible on your status, okay? If you came in and you sat at a certain place, you were of status. If you sat at another place, you were not of status. And so there's shame and honor that's going on. 
And he's like this, I'm going to condemn the religious leaders because they are all about visibility and they are all about status. Okay, that's what he's saying. And Mark gives only a few details, but Matthew really goes after them. All right, Matthew 23, let's dig in here. Matthew 23, 1 through 4. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. That's very interesting that he says that. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them, put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. All right? So note, Jesus says they're teaching the right stuff. There's not a problem with that, right? He said, you, you are to listen to them, but you are not to emulate them, okay? There's a difference there. And he says, they sit in the seat of Moses. This is probably referring to a chair in the synagogue where they would talk about the scriptures. And so he's like, they're sitting in the right place. They're talking about the scriptures, but there is a disconnect between what they are saying and what their life looks like. Now, this is why this is so important. Many of you come to this church with church hurt, okay? You do. We take these passages very seriously as an elder team. I, I want you to know that. We talk about that. They do not, the elder team, just so you know, and we'll go into this a little bit, we never ask how many people are here. That is not a metric that we look at, right? We do not look, except for parking issues, because we've had those a couple of weeks, so I apologize for everyone. But we do not talk about that. We talk about what is the Lord calling us to and what, what the decisions we need to make to look more like Jesus, not look like a bigger church, right? If this, we like literally, the elder teams have said, if this church dwindles to 10 of us sitting here, we are going to remain faithful. And he's saying, listen to these guys, but don't emulate them because the religious leaders are so important within a community. He says their actions speak louder than their words. And so we see this, Matthew 23, 5 through 12. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their, their I was going to butcher this, their paralyticals wide and the tassels on their garment long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted with, with respect in the marketplaces and be called rabbi by others, but you are not to be called rabbi by others, but you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers and do not call anyone on earth father for you have one father and he is in heaven, nor are you to be called instructors for you have one instructor, the Messiah, the greatest among you, the greatest among you will be your servant for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus is like Mark. Jesus is like this in Mark. We see that they wear garments to be seen. They love the place of honor. They love all the stuff. But he's like, don't even call each other rabbi because you have one teacher. You're instead supposed to treat one another like brothers and sisters. He's saying to his disciples, do you see I'm setting a new path, a new way of how this is to operate. We are to operate as brothers and sisters. And he's like this. We are supposed to relate, not call people fathers, but rather we are supposed to 
go beyond biological bounds. Of course, you call your father, father, but for us, we work and operate as brothers and sisters. Is everyone tracking, right? The church is to honor and give allegiance only to Jesus, okay? We point to Jesus. That doesn't mean that we don't respect each other. That doesn't mean that we as the elder team don't have to make decisions that we all kind of have to go along with or, or get right with, right? There's not that we don't have a system and an authority that takes place in this church, but we do it together as brothers and sisters, all right? We are together in this. Do you understand? And what happens is if we begin to exalt ourselves and hold power over you, then it's not how Jesus wanted this to operate. And then he goes into these woes. And he's going to just pop them a little bit, all right? Seven woes. Matthew 23, or 23, 13. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourself do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. The first is you're not even in the kingdom of God. And not only that, but Jesus is saying not only that, but you're outside and you're actually preventing others from coming into the kingdom of God. Woe is you, you hypocrites. Number two, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woo! They seem to be doing the right stuff. They're going far away, it says, to convert people, to tell them about God, right? They're going far away, but they are converting them. And at the same time, they're imposing heavy burdens. They're putting strict restrictions on them and they're preventing people from seeing the truth. We do not prevent people from seeing who Jesus is. Then he goes on, number three. Woe to you blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? All right, you can keep reading this. I'm, I'm cutting these out. All right, there's a lot going on, but we didn't have time. He goes on and he's going to go a lot more, but he's going to say, Jesus is pointing out that there's tricky character that's happening in these leaders. All right. Then when taking oaths, they're making a fine line of distinction. They're making oaths, but basically thinking that they don't have to follow it, all right? So they're saying the right stuff, but they have no intentions to do the things that they say, all right? They appear to make these binding oaths, but inwardly, they're not going to keep them. And the religious leaders were known for being dishonest and deceptive. So Jesus calls them blind guides, blind fools, and blind men. All right, let's keep going. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. They were so good at tithing the smallest of spices. They were meticulous. They were meticulous in every area or so it would seem. Anything that was on the outside, you could look at them and you could not call them out. They were taking spices and they were making sure that they got to the 10th, but they failed on the big stuff. He's like this, you do not adhere to justice. You don't 
love, mercy. You are not faithful. This is demanded in the law. They were majoring on the minors. And it says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of your cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and indulgence. Whew. Jesus critiques the leaders' excessive attention to the external. This is something that we can all face. We can try to look a certain way, but he's like this. There was purification and there was purity that took place in the temple. This was part of the religion. But Jesus taught over and over again that uncleanliness comes from the inside of a person always. He was very clear on that. That you can look a certain way on the outside, but only God knows your heart and uncleanliness comes from the outside. He's like you wash just the outside of your cup. You ever feel that? That's why I often don't eat at pitchens because I picture everyone only cleaning the outside of the cup and not the inside as a germaphobe. But Jesus is like the outside of these guys look good. But on the inside is grief, greed, and self-indulgence. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. The sixth woe is very much the same as the first, but what's happening is that tombs were basically whitewashed. They were meant to be beautiful on the outside, but inside you're going to go in and all you see is what? Death and a corpse. The Pharisees appeared beautiful outside, but because of the religious practices, they were corrupt and they were decaying on the inside. He keeps going. What are you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites, to you build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if you have lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. What is he saying there? It's like the final woe is the ultimate religious hypocrisy, okay? He says that they, if they lived, they were saying that if they lived in the time of the prophets, they wouldn't have done anything to murder them. They would not have been a part of it. They would not have shed blood. But remember, people in power do not like the prophets often because prophets come and they communicate God. And most often when they're communicating, they show the people and a lot of times the leaders on how far off path they have gone. And so they knew this. Jesus knew this. Why is he saying this? He's saying, you say that you wouldn't be like that, but you have already started this. You have already begun the process of planning my death. You know what's going on, religious leaders. He's like, you are just like the former generations. You murder the prophets. Hear me on this. Maybe, just maybe, if we're not careful, maybe they went right over you. Maybe some of these went right over you, but maybe, just maybe, the church could look like this. We need to listen to these woes. Sometimes the church, we can use religious status to gain power or honor or get what we want. We as a community have to, be, uh, have to always be uh, all about being the opposite of this. We are a community that practices the opposite. And Paul reiterates this. Now, why am I bringing all this? Because this is like one of those things where I'm like, all right, you see this. 
you see who you guys are and you see who the religious leaders are. Now, Paul is very clear on what this is supposed to look like. When you come to church with a, a consumerism mindset, this begins to take root, okay? When we look at church based on how good the band sounds or how good my teaching is or what this all looks like because we know that it doesn't look great sometimes, right? We completely miss it. And one of the challenges is, is that we come into a religious community and we look at it from a talent point of view. Does Kurt have the talent? Does the band have the talent? Does the staff have the talent? And when you look at what he says to the religious leaders, and then you look at Paul, Jesus is saying that I'm going to start my church and it's going to look a lot different than what we currently see. And Paul and Timothy, 1 Timothy 3, he's going to say this is what it actually should look like for those that are leading you. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into grace and into the devil's trap. Why do we say this as elders, as overseers of the church? This is what this is supposed to look like. These are the characteristics that we are to have. Where's one skill set? Being able to teach. That's the skill set, right? The rest is character. And he's saying the religious leaders, Jesus is saying the religious leaders are walking around and they're wearing all the stuff. They're looking a certain way and they're so far that they're outside the kingdom of God. And then Paul reiterates, this is what I want the church to look like. This is what it was meant to be. This is what moves my heart. If we're going to be a church that moves the heart of God, this is what we are going to look like. Okay. Is everyone tracking? Nothing about the outside, all about the inside stuff. And I'm, I'm proud to say, I mean, I'm, I'm part of the L team. I can honestly tell you, everyone that's on that leadership, man, they, we hold these things very close to our heart. Let's go on. Jesus is going to show us that there is actually something that he's looking for. So Jesus is in the temple, and he's looking for the things that move his heart. And so in Mark, in Mark 12, he's saying, this is the religious leaders and whoa, 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 you've got it completely wrong. And someone's going to walk into the temple and they're going to say, that person got it all right. All right, let's see who that is. Mark 12, 41 through 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were and, put the, and, and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worthy of only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, the poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Jesus had just overturned the tables. 
He is in a mood, right? He was in the court of the Gentiles, an outer court. He has now moved into the court of the women, which is moving inside the temple. And what we see is that against the wall, there would have been 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles for coins, for tithing, for offering, to give free will, okay? And why that is that important? That's trumpet-shaped. Well, the, the boxes... As you put in the coins, because you would have put in coins, they would drop the coins in and they would make a loud noise. So when the rich people came in and they poured their coins, everyone would turn because there's a lot going on over there. And you would hear all the coins that are coming in, all right? And so they pour it in and you'd be like, that dude is loaded. That woman is loaded. She is giving and she's giving every, she's giving a lot, right? And so in a worldly perspective, you're like, that person is doing it right. Now he doesn't say that they're doing it wrong. Hear me say that. But he's saying, I'm looking out for something that moves my heart. And so what we see is that he's sitting across the way and he's observing this. And there's one person that moves it. Because if the same is true, that if you pour a ton of coins into this loud reciprocal, then a little coin, nobody would notice. But Jesus notices. Do you notice that? Everyone else's heads would have been turned when all the noise was happening. But when two little coins that were probably the equivalent of one of you dropping 50 cents into that back thing, which if that's what you want to give, feel free to. But none of, none of, nobody would turn their head. But for some people, giving 50 cents was all that they had to live on. And Jesus is sitting there and no one else noticed. And he tells his disciples, this moved my heart. She becomes the model. The religious leaders who were supposed to get it all right, the ones that were supposed to show you who God is and what the heart of God looks like, they have gotten it completely wrong. And a small widow, which no one noticed except for Jesus himself, says, look at this person. She's got it figured out. The widow moves the heart of God. Now, he see this, that later in Mark 14, there's a similar story. Mark 14, 1 through 11. Now the Passover and the festival of the unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and, and, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, What she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. There are four things that are going on, four important things. 
Jesus' enemies have plotted. They're coming after him, all right? It's important to know as we continue this way of Jesus series in Mark, this is what's happening. We also see that Jesus' disciples were once again a little ignorant to what was going to happen. The disciples are the one that rebuke, them, rebuke her harshly. Number three, one of them is stooping as low to become a traitor. But there's one woman, one woman that figured it out. We know that in John's account, this is Mary of Bethany. This is the sister of, Mary, of Martha and Lazarus. And here we see this example of devotion to Jesus. At the table of a former leper's house, we see that Jesus is saying, this moves my heart. I was at the temple. I saw what the religious leaders were doing. I saw all the garb. I saw all the walking. I saw all the show. And I found one widow that moved my heart. And she's like, I'm going to go to a former leper's house. And I'm going to sit there and I'm going to recline, which means I'm eating dinner and I'm enjoying these people. When you're reclining, you're eating dinner and you're enjoying these people. And she pulls out this alabaster container that has nard. Now, nard would have been like they would have gone all the way to India at the time to get this. It's not native to the, to the land. They went a far way. This is expensive, expensive stuff. And she pours the ointment just like the woman put in two coins. Mary gives all that she has to Jesus. And her generosity is contrasted by stinginess, right? I was thinking about this. I honestly don't know how to communicate more what it looks like to be a church that loves Jesus with all of us. And we were talking about it in the prayer room and we were talking about these stories and we were talking about how ridiculous they probably look, these women, right? If you're a poor widow and everyone's pouring a bunch of change in there, it takes a lot of insecurity to drop two coins in there. It really does. And if you're Mary lounging around at a table, no one else is doing anything and you're going to take the most expensive bottle, probably the most expensive thing that you've ever bought, and you're going to start pouring it on this dude. It looks weird. It looks strange. But it moves God's heart. Isn't it strange that it moves God's heart? Jesus is looking. is like, that's the person that has it figured out. That's the person who understands. That's the person who knows and it's all people that were willing to look a little strange to love Jesus. What would, it, what would it look like if it happened in our church? There's an argument that breaks out. And the disciples are like, whoa, 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 slow down. I think it would happen here as well. I honestly do. When I thought about Redeem, I think, and I'd probably be the first among them. If someone just came and pull down. I don't even know perfume. I, I barely wear deodorant. But if they just brought this like expensive something and said, I'm pouring this out for Jesus, I would be the first one to jump up and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
the tithing offerings back there. Let's just get that figured out. And Jesus is like, this person gets it. And there's a difference between going through the motions. There's a difference in today's world of, of feeling like I posted all the best Christian memes. I've posted about a couple Bible stories. I've listened like I always joke about listening to Air One in the car. I'm figuring this out, right? Versus a complete devotion. This widow was willing. These were the only two coins she had. It says everything that she had left, she puts into the offering. And this woman pours the most expensive thing that she probably has and pours it out for Jesus. This is not a giving talk. I want to make that completely transparent. This is not a giving part. This is a heart issue. I don't care about giving. I don't care about money. I care about your guys' hearts. And I think there's going to be some people that come in to redeem, and they're going to be like, this is really weird. Because I hope that they see us as the woman who's at his feet, who's pouring this expensive ointment on Jesus saying, this is worth everything to me. Jesus is worth everything to me. I hold nothing back because it's all about Jesus and that's all that matters. But sometimes we can be held back. And I don't want that anymore. We can be in a continuous state of trying to do the right things or look a certain way and not move God's heart. I don't want us to come together and not move God's heart. I want God to look at redeem and be like, these are a few people that get it. They're the ones that get it. It's not about show. It's not about lights. It's not about my preaching. It's not about the worship. It's not about, it's about us together, brothers and sisters, moving God's heart. Not a going to look a certain way. I have no idea what this is supposed to look like. I really don't. What I do know is I don't want to manufacture anything. I don't want to do anything to look at us, look at me, look at each other. I want my brothers and my sisters to come together and to worship Jesus as the King of all kings, the one who died on a cross for you and for me. And when you think about all your sin and you think about all your junk, and you think about all the stuff that you're going through, all the things that are completely out of control, but know that Jesus is in control, you come with the most expensive perfume. You come with the last two coins that you have. You're willing to sell everything to buy the field where the kingdom of God is. And you say, I'm giving you this. I'm giving you my full devotion because this is all that I have to give. And when I was, when I was writing this sermon, none of this was popping for me. But I feel like the Holy Spirit is moving and saying, I don't want the motions. I don't want things to look normal. I think there is a reason that Jesus put a tarp, not Jesus, the guys did. But I walked in and there's a tarp hanging over here and that our TV didn't work and that our chairs are a little uncomfortable. And that half the people are looking through a lobby window. We love you.
Because we come together as a body and we say, I'm willing to give everything for the kingdom. And Jesus' heart is moved. God's heart is moved. That's what he wants, is his heart to be moved. So go ahead and stand up. Someone needs to hear this. Jesus lived and he died and he was raised from the dead for you. And everyone walking around this world, not just Christians, have to understand his worth. Does that make sense? We as a church, when we begin to move the heart of God, when we do the things that move the heart of God, people begin to look and say, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. Does that make sense? When we do the things that matter, not show or perfect music or building or teaching, just people who pour themselves out for Jesus in every aspect of our lives, he, people will say, this is different. I'm just going to ask you guys to bow your head. Lord, I know that you're convicting me on areas of my life that I've held on to things that I haven't fully trusted you. Just to be transparent with you, ways that I've tried to look a certain way or say a certain way thing that makes me look more holy than someone else a judgmental word that I said behind someone's back, maybe some gossip that I've said that's behind people's backs to make me feel better about my relationship with you. I repent of that now. Any area of my life that I haven't fully devoted over to you, Lord, I repent of that now. Lord, we come as a community wanting more of you that's our desperate heart is to have more of your presence, Lord. So, Lord, we give up everything for you. I'm just going to spend some time where just ask the Holy Spirit just to speak to anyone that needs to hear this message. I think for some people there's fear that's holding them back. I think there's insecurity for some people. Anybody here that's insecure? We get to come boldly to Jesus. Mary, that was a bold move. She came boldly to Jesus. So, Lord, anything that's holding us back, Lord, just reveal it to us because we want to come boldly to, your, to you.
Lord, we want to be a, a group of brothers and sisters that move your heart. We don't want to go through the motions. We don't want to look a certain way. We want to look the way that you want us to look. So Lord, reveal to each one of us, what do you desire more of us, Lord? How do you desire us to move forward as a body? To look more like you, Jesus. To love you more. To glorify you, Jesus. To show all your worth. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.